This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Binge boys in your ears and in your hearts. Hi, everyone. I'm Hal Rudnick. Across from me is the man with the biggest heart in streaming, Lon Harris. Lon. Oh, that's nice. Once binge boys goes in your ears, I guess the sound waves just leave. I mean, uh, how, where I does that, how I does that happen? I didn't realize they, there'd be math on this thing. Uh, like you're, you're like the sound waves come into your ear and they vibrate your your eardrum or whatever. And I guess yeah, yeah then they I just stops vibrating. And they, yeah, they for, I, I mean, forever. Yes. Yeah, because sound literally it, it yeah it hits your eardrum and you pick yeah. it up. Um, so everything you've it ever heard. Stops there. Yeah. It just stops there. It's like well, it vibrate. It shakes the the little parts it has to shake for you to hear things. And then it stops shaking, and that's it. It stops shaking, and and it ends there. It's not like it passes through. Right, that's what I'm saying. Like it doesn't keep shaking. Like if the yeah, your your yeah. your head blocks the sound wave. Yeah, it's it's like if you threw, like if you had like a like a giant jacuzzi sized thing full of jello, and you th- and you threw a ball into the jello. Is the, your head the giant the jacuzzi filled just, with jello? Is yes. that what is that the and metaphor? The sound is the ball. And right. the, and the and the ball would just stay there. I was just gonna say, yeah, like if you put your head up right up flush next to someone else's head and someone whispers in their ear, you can't hear what was said through them. That would be pretty cool if that worked, but I don't oh, think right? it would. Um yeah, and it's not so. and it's not like when you get water in your ear from the shower, because you can get the water out of your ear, ideally, after that. Well, yeah, water not not a wave, a physical matter, you know. Right, right. Yeah. Sound is not physical matter. Sound is not matter, exactly. Sound is just, it's like, Wait, a, yeah. sound does matter, especially no, the sounds coming doesn't. out of your mouth, Lon. Oh, what a what a nice thing to say. Brought it back around. That's charming. All right, that was uh, the science portion Physics of the Corner. Yeah, I like to listen. I like and to discuss theoretical physics more on the of that, you can uh, uh, take a peek behind our paywall for a, <laughs> just yeah. a just a small stipend. It's just string theory back there. That's it's it. It's just string theory it's just on us our talking Patreon. string theory. Yes, yeah. on our really no, zero dollar making Patreon. I, I got I got a job once, and then I'll do the news. I promise. I got a job once uh, working for documentaries for the History Channel. They were like, hmm. "We need a researcher," and I was a history major in college. Uh, yes. You know, <clears throat> not bad at research. So I was like, "This is great." Uh, and so I got there, and they were like, "Great, you're hired." First day, I show up, and they're like, "Okay." Your first assignment, we're working on a documentary about string theory, the history of string theory. I'm like, that's not, that's not history. That's science. And they're like, yeah, mm-hmm. we're, we're doing your, the rest of this year is just going to be science documentaries, but the history of the science. And so I was like, great, what should I do first? And they literally handed me like a 50 page, like a binder with like very high level, not high level, but like academic papers about string theory. Oh, and they were boy. like, first check out this, and then once you're through that, come grab me and we'll go on to the next stuff. And I, I quit like after like an hour. I was like, I can't, 
There's no way I'm gonna figure this out. Brain uh, hurts. Hell, I'm gonna go back to the video store. Head and, and hurts. And I did. And I did. Uh, but you know what? It, you eventually found your way out of that video store right here. I did. You've uh, in a direct this is line. It. This is. I was in the video store until Binge Boys, and then I was like, "Thank God, finally, how Rudnick." And then you came <laughs> aboard, and then it was time to do the news. Did it? Did it? Did it? Did it? Did it? The news with Lon. Listen, I'll take. I'll dither around at the top of this show for as long as I want, Rudnick. Hey, don't, don't threaten me with a good time. You're not the boss of me. All right. Uh, an update to Production Weekly indicates that Disney may be pursuing a new revival of Daredevil. You remember the Netflix series Daredevil? He's, oh, Charlie Cox plays blind lawyer Matt Murdock? Yeah, exactly. That's the one. So uh, we know Daredevil, along with all the other Marvel Netflix shows, they've moved over to Disney+. Plus. So Luke Cage, your Jessica Jones, your Defenders, all those shows. Not Iron now Fist, streaming. though. They got rid of Iron Fist, No, right? still Iron Fist as oh, well. Okay. He's over there, too. The whole gang... No longer on Netflix, now on Disney Plus in the U.S. And you had to, I don't know if you've logged into Disney Plus this week, you actually have to, like, recalibrate your uh, mature viewing settings. Oh. They're like, hang on, we got the Punisher on here now. So, like, you got to say, are you okay with everybody watching people get shot in the face? Are, are, are you okay uh, with guys who've never seen the show slapping the decal on the back of their truck? Yeah, are you right? Are you okay with Blue Lives Matter? You have to answer that when you log into Disney Plus now. Uh, so anyway, uh, those, those are all on Disney Plus, and now that that's happened, we're getting some early indications. It's still just a rumor; nothing official has been announced. But a show called Daredevil Reboot has started to appear as in pre-production around town in trade mags in LA, which has led a number of people to theorize that. Oh, they're doing something new with Daredevil. That would also make sense. Charlie Cox returning in Spider-Man No Way Home. Vincent D'Onofrio returning as Kingpin in uh, the Hawkeye series. So mm -hmm. it would seem like there's there, Disney's trying to get people excited about this property again. Yeah, I mean, that, that could be cool. And, you know, uh, Daredevil, it was a groundbreaker in terms of a lot of the action and bringing superheroes to TV. So uh, I wouldn't be mad at a Daredevil return. Let me ask you this. If we've established that Daredevil is active in the New York of uh, Spider-Man No Way Home. Yeah. Uh, why isn't he helping? Why He's just standing at the edge of Hell's Kitchen watching these battles go down like, listen, if they come, if they come to my neighborhood, there's going to be trouble. But as long as they stay. Like, why wasn't everybody helping? Because you had Doctor Strange all up in there. Well, Doctor Strange is, he's helping. He's stuck in the, the mirror dimension. Like, Spider-Man locks him away. Right, right. But, uh, true, true, true. But, like, with all of these uh, Avengers involved, you figure, like, someone's going to get a blip on their event. We've got, they're, they're pretty good about this. Like, Thor's off-world, like, Nick Fury's off-world. Like, we, you know, we, we, we have explanations for why a lot of the, like, Captain Marvel's not around. That's why they're not jumping in. Wanda just went through a whole thing. I, I like picturing, uh, like, Matt Murdock's on a rooftop at 34th and 8th. Like, and he's like one of these I'm guys good. swoops into Hell's Kitchen, I'm on it. But otherwise, Spider-Man's yeah, got Yeah, otherwise, yeah, I, I'm... Uh, I'm a street level guy. I'm just going to handle these few Hell's blocks. Hell's Kitchen exclusive. If it's not in these eight blocks, go fuck yourself. That's it. That's it. I don't fight crime in Dumbo. What do I look like? An asshole? <laughs> in Dumbo? Dumbo, down under the Manhattan Brooklyn overpass? Yeah. Oh, I, I did not know that acronym. It's a trendy neighborhood in New York, folks. Listen. 
Gotcha, gotcha. I just thought it was a Tim Burton film. It is a Tim Burton film, but it is also a trendy neighborhood in Brooklyn. Gotcha. Not Manhattan. It would be in Brooklyn because it's under the it's under the Brooklyn side of the Brooklyn Bridge. You know what? I'll have to ask my I have a brother who lives in Brooklyn. I'll have to ask him about it. If you ask him about Dumbo, he's going to know exactly what you're talking about. Like gotcha. a lot of good restaurants, a lot of good restaurants down there. Ooh, all right. I like a good restaurant row. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, so look out, look out for that. And of course, stream any of those. A lot of people I feel like are revisiting like Luke Cage or whatever now that they're all on this new service and not censored. Like people thought maybe they were going to remove some of the most troubling, violent bits. But Disney's like, nah, go for it, kids. Oh, right. Like uh, there's no tits. How bad can it be? Is there full frontal male nudity in Iron Fist? <laughs> no, would have been improved by some, but no. Yes. David Wenham keeps his pants on the whole time. Damn. Sadly, Faramir does not uh, show us his wang. Ah, bummer. Apple completed its $8.45 billion acquisition of MGM this week. Uh, they basically had to like- $8.45 billion? Billion, with a B, billion. Ooh, a lot, a lot of MGM properties, a lot of value there. Uh, yeah, you this get was that a, lion. You get, you get yeah. full custody of that MGM lion. So this was, they had to like wait out regular. There were some regulatory concerns about Amazon swooping up even more media, but eventually they worked around it. So MGM's library of classic films is going to come to Prime Video. Your, your Bond films, your Legally Blondes, that sort of thing. Bear in mind, not every movie with an MGM logo at the beginning still belongs to MGM. There have been lots of deals over the years where different studios have picked up chunks of MGM's library, but a lot of those classic MGM films will be coming to Prime Video. They're just noting not everything that MGM makes from now on is definitely going to be an Amazon exclusive. There's still going to be a studio that makes things that go sometimes to theaters, sometimes to other networks or streamers. You know, it's still going to be MGM. Okay, so it's on a case-to-case basis then. Right. It's, 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 we know that the film, the MGM library will largely live on Prime Video. Otherwise, it's all kind of up in the air and project to project about what MGM will produce for Amazon and what MGM will produce, you know, that ends up streaming somewhere else. Yeah, I wonder how the uh, sausage is made there, Alon. I don't know what you mean by that. Like, how are they going to decide all that? Well, it's just like, I mean, think about it like Sony's a good example. Like Sony, they don't have a, here's the Sony streaming platform. They make content and then it goes all over the place. So like Station Eleven streamed on HBO Max but it was not made by HBO, it was made by Sony, and right. they just sold it to HBO Max. So MGM could do things like that. They might make a show, but they'll probably bring it to Amazon first and be like, you guys like this? And if Amazon's like, eh, we don't really like that, mm. they could shop it around, and if somebody else wants it, they would have the option to take it elsewhere. Okay. It's that kind of thing. Sure, sure. I, I, I would wager, like, Amazon's gonna get right of first refusal to most things MGM does, probably, from here on out. Like, if there's a Bond TV show, that would probably go to Amazon, because it's, you know, A-list stuff. But we'll see, you know. Theoretically, other things could go to other places. TBD. Metro Goldwyn Mayer. That's what, that's what it's at, that's what it stands for. MGM. Louis B. Mayer. Samuel Goldwyn. Mr. Metro. Thanks for taking a trip down Hollywood history. Uh, Hollywood memory lane with us, folks. This has been enlightening. 
the golden era. Netflix canceled the teen drama series The Babysitter's Club. Oh, after no, just, say it ain't so, say it ain't after so After just long. two seasons. Now, the, the, this was an interesting cancellation because the show was pretty popular among its target demo, and it was extremely well-reviewed, 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. Ooh. We did not see this coming, even though Netflix does tend to cancel things early. Creator Rachel Shukert discussed the decision with Vulture this week. Her theory is that even though the show was popular in North America, it was not as popular internationally where the Babysitter's Club brand and novels are not as well known. And that that's really Netflix's focus right now. They they feel like they've got everybody that they're going to get in America and Canada and Mexico. Yes. And they're really they're really gunning for Indonesia and Malaysia right, right, and right. India and some of these far flung destinations. And you know what is going to hamstring the show when it goes there? America is the only place where the concept of babysitting exists. I don't I don't think that's true. Yes, I think people and everywhere else around the world, they leave the kid to its own devices. Uh, I, I, the the concept of it taking a village, I don't think that's a uniquely American concept. I, I think could be wrong. Places. This is I just, feel like this is just this an is instant hypothesis. I yeah, I feel like this is made up. But having said that, yes. though babysitting as a occupation may exist, mm -hmm. the idea of a group of teenage girls in the suburbs of Connecticut forming a babysitters club mm. may be a little alien to people in say, Saudi Arabia. I don't know how they do it out there. I don't know if they have teen babysitting clubs or if the babysitters are done by, you know, strict imams. I couldn't tell you. I, yeah, I, I don't know if- I feel uh, like in Saudi Arabia, if you need a babysitter, you call the strictest imam. The, the sh Sharia law governs uh, babysitting in Saudi Arabia? I mean, law? Sharia law governs, that's what makes it Sharia law, baby. It governs everything. <laughs> okay, that's you don't step Frank, outside. That's Frank Sinatra on Sharia Law. Yeah, like law. that's a. Let me tell you the sexiest thing about Sharia Law is it governs everything you do, baby. There ain't just one or two tenets of Sharia Law. It's all encompassing. Oh man, you're gonna have no freedoms left. <laughs> anyway, I thought this was. If you if you are interested in this, I do encourage looking up this Rachel Schuchert interview with Vulture. She also just talks about how how little content there is for this particular demo. We've got Turning Red right now, which yes. is another example of like specifically targeting sort of young teenage girls and preteen girls. And Rachel Schuchert was saying she was so happy to make a show for them because you kind of go from Doc McStuffins directly to euphoria in our culture. Mm. There's not a lot of, that was her her comparison, not mine. That, gotcha. uh, you know, that, that there's like, we're sort of, there's a paucity for like YA in terms of how yeah. much, content they get specifically for them before you get into full-blown, you know, here's teen drama stuff. You know, uh, kids want that. Parents, um, you know, must want that. I, I was on a text thread with a bunch of people I know, and this one guy was like, hey, uh, my 13-year-old my daughter wants to watch Euphoria. Should I let her? And I'm just like, oh, no. <laughs> that <at the>, <laughs> seems a little no. too young for that. Yeah. Although, yeah. I don't know, kids are savvy enough that I well, know, I think that's what I think that's what this was about is like we're missing that chunk of our pop culture landscape. Like there yeah. really isn't a lot of good stuff. So that's how these girls do end up watching Euphoria and Gossip Girl, you know, right out of Peppa Pig, you know, like it goes right, right from one. Then you crash yeah. into the other. There isn't like a babysitter's club middle ground. Although, you know, I get like animation. Maybe. You know, and after that goes Peppa Pig, uh, Euphoria, Gossip Girl. And then after that, 
it goes Maury. But it's not watching Maury. It's being on Maury as a teen mom oh trying to my find God. out who the biological father is. Oh, my God. In your in your long and illustrious Maury career, yes. how many times did you go on there only to be revealed as not the real father? I mean, I lost count. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, you hold the the U.S. record, I believe, for most. They thought you were the father, Ooh-wee. and then you weren't. To the point I, that I, I know I got your dance moves down cold. Your celebratory, not the father dance, and become an a, an American icon. You know. Oh yeah, it's it's very reminiscent of the uh, old <laughs> football dance, the icky yeah. shuffle. The right. Yeah. That is shuffle. that became for a brief period in the '90s and the early odds the Maury celebratory, not the father dance. Really did take <laughs> the place of the end zone touchdown victory dance. Is like America's favorite. Viral dance craze. A beloved and notable I wonder celebration. if any of those Maury, not the father dances made it into Fortnite. Is there a Fortnite dance where you celebrate like one of those guys on Maury who finds out he's not the father? Probably. I'm not I'm not the best Fortnite aficionado, but Oh, that's why I thought that's why we had you on this show. I oh I was like I, I went to Starbirds and I was like, I want to do a show about streaming. Can you get me the biggest Fortnite guy? And I like, lied on my special skills. They immediately were like, "How Rudnick?" I lied on all of my special. <laughs> I skills. I can't believe it. I feel like I've been. Li- I feel like I've been lied to. How did you talk your way into that free guy cameo? That's what's most impressive. Just a, a string of fibs. I'm not a brown belt in uh, Jeet Kune Do. <laughs> Wait, I don't know. what? Oh my god! Uh, you're blowing my mind today. This is. I feel. I feel lied to. I know. Sorry. How dare you? Did you watch? Uh, did you watch Free Guy? Did you see that movie? That Ryan oh no, I haven't. Film? I haven't watched it yet. I haven't watched it yet. They do the Truman Show bit where because it, it's all taking place in this massive multiplayer online yes, game. Yes, I'm familiar so they, with the conceit. So they do the Truman Show bit where you cut to like Twitch streamers reacting to what's happening oh, in the yeah, game. Yeah, yeah, gotcha, gotcha. Because uh, they're watching the they're watching the movie along with you, basically. Yeah, and they're like, it's so oh, funny. Oh, shit. Yeah, okay. Right, like, oh, I can't believe he did that. Like, uh. But it's they're obviously shot, and I did recognize Ninja, like that that very famous Twitch streamer. Yes, Ninja. yes, I know who that is. But they're is. all shot in a way where you can tell these are people you're supposed to recognize. Oh, and, gotcha. And like old old man Lon Harris was like, "Well, that's definitely a guy I'm supposed to recognize." But uh, I, I don't I don't know Jack Septic Eye. Like I know that name. I'm familiar with that. That's a famous live streamer, but. I don't like. I don't see him and go like, "Look at that, Jack Septic Eye is in this movie." And is any of the old crew from Smosh Games or uh, um, Honest Game Trailers? No, not a one. Not not a single person that I I know a few people from the video game world. No one I knew personally. No one I knew. All right, all right. A lot of the newer, the younger Pokemon. She shows up in there. A lot of the younger class of big Twitch streamers. Got to do free guy. What about uh, what about that Hassan Piker? Is he uh is he on there? <laughs> no, he's not a, a lot Twitch. of socialist live streamers. Oh, more okay. focused on the game people. Yeah, I, I enjoy I enjoy uh, the some political live streams. It's odd that there's a 15 minute segment of the film where Ryan Reynolds goes on Chapo Trap House. I thought that was <laughs> an odd choice to make, but they pull it back together by the end. They make it make sense. <laughs> Dirtbag left the movie. Go see it. Hulu announced the live streaming special Plane Swap, which mm. it will co-produce with Red Bull. Uh, so this is going to be two solo pilots. They're going to they're going to both fly uh, small aircraft. 
put them into free fall, then jump out of their planes, swap planes in midair, no. and then land each other's respective planes. It's going to be Luke Akins of the Red Bull Air Force, at, oh. along with his cousin, Andy Farrington. They're going to perform the stunt. Akins was a consultant. Remember that Stratos Red Bull event where Felix Baumgartner jumped to Earth from 127,000 yes. feet, like at yes. the edge of from the atmosphere? from literally out of the atmosphere, yep. Right. So uh, Akins was a consultant on that. We're going to try to, like, recapture that magic. That oh, is live boy. streaming on Hulu on Sunday, April 24th. I folks, would respectfully, ready. I would respectfully ask them to reconsider. <laughs> Just not do it. Not do it. It's too dangerous. Uh, they're, they're, listen, they're, these are guys who jumped out of planes tens of thousands of times. They jumped like out of planes, but they're jumping back into a plane to, to, to fly. Yeah, the but plane. they'll have a parachute Here's if it thing. doesn't go on, well. Come on, Red Bull gives you wings. These guys are giving up their wings oh, to get my the God. other guy's wings. Oh, my oh, God. Oh, boy. I am, I'm having an anxiety attack just thinking about the potentialities. I would only do this if it was sponsored by Monster. I don't trust those Red Bull guys. But if it was Monster Energy, okay, I'm jumping out of this It's plane. funny that you say that because uh, I don't mean to um, derail the entire show, but you know I like to do that at least twice a show. You, you definitely do. It's about, you've already done it once. So. When I was working, in, I used to work in action sports on, on, action, on Fuel TV. Sure. And I was talking to this guy who... <laughs> Um, you, he you say that in a way that does not sound like you used to work in action sports. Well, you say it, that it, like, I, I used to work in action sports. I, I don't surf. I don't skateboard. Right. Uh, yeah. Well, it's like, yeah, you know, I was an action sports guy for a while. Like, that's how I imagine you would, most people would say it. Yeah, you know, uh, pretty extreme. I was an action sports pro. Yeah, anyway. yeah, pretty extreme. Only no E on that. Just an X and then a dash and then treem. Or you can just go, I'm, I was pretty stream, pretty stream. Uh, <laughs> but... Drinking uh, as many as 8 to 12 Mountain Dew Code Reds a day, folks. Well, okay. it, was, it was extreme. So it was a commitment two. to extreme. This is an energy drink-related story. Uh, this guy told me that, you know, the, the factions amongst action sports folks, like with their sponsorships and who, like, they're loyal to, it, it is a big deal. Yes. And this guy was telling me he heavily repped Rockstar. And he mm. was at a monster house uh, a house that was like everyone right. was brand loyal to Monster, and he was talking a lot of shit. And then he slapped like a Rockstar Energy sticker on something, and he got jumped. Wow, yeah, because of that, and literally wound up hospitalized because of fucking energy drinks. Well, you saw that it was what How to with John Wilson, where he ends up at the house of the Bang Energy. Uh, oh no, I didn't see that episode. I got to. Oh my I gotta, god, I catch it's a and, yeah. it's an amazing twist. Like you don't see this coming, but the yes. end of the episode, he ends up at a private party at the house of the owner of Bang Energy. Oh wow! And it really is a cult like atmosphere where yeah. everyone at this event is wearing bang gear yep. and they're drinking bang and they're all talking about their favorite flavors and mm -hmm. it's just like it's very intense and and like they're inside this mindset uh that i thought we all kind of thought of as a joke now like i almost sort of before seeing this john wilson episode in my mind like the the ride the peak of energy drink culture had sort of faded away I, and we all kind thought. of looked back on it nostalgically now, like remember how obsessed everyone was energy drinks. But for a chunk of the population, we are still in peak energy drink. Like we're not, it's still a, a lifestyle choice for sure. All right, let's move on. Yeah. Uh, Netflix announced five 
five, count them. New animated series and specials, all based on the work of Dr. Seuss. That include Whoa. that doesn't include, that's in addition to a new season of the animated series Green Eggs and Ham, which we already saw season one, season two coming up next month. Uh, but along with that, we're going to get new shows and specials, including adaptations of One Fish, Two Fish, Red Fish, Blue Fish, mm. The Sneetches, and Horton Hears a Who, among others. I, I feel like uh, specials are the way to go. Like, adapt, make an animated adaptation of the story. Mm -hmm. Like the like that classic Chuck Jones. Chuck Jones did the Sneetches back in the 70s, I want to say, 60s maybe. Okay. And then he also did the Lorax, that very famous Lorax, classic sure. Lorax TV special. Not the Danny DeVito movie, the 60s cartoon TV version. Okay. Or 70s. I have These vague recollections. Yeah, it's like you only see uh, the Onesler like from behind. He's just like a green arm and he's always in a chair with a cigar. And you know, yep. Anyway. Those were great. Like those old, or even the Grinch, you know, that classic Grinch holiday oh, special. Oh, yeah. The, I know that one most of right. all. Those were, and that was Chuck Jones as well. Those all work terrific. Yes. Because they're just adapting the already good story or poem that we all liked in the book. The, mm -hmm. the Where you go wrong, I think, is when they try to, like, expand these simple stories into, like, full-on narratives. Like your, your Michael Myers cat in the hat film oh, like yeah. your your green eggs and ham animated netflix series like mm. those are it just it's very hard to or even that grinch movie with jim carrey which i think is terrible i know a lot of oh. if you were a kid in that era you're nostalgic for it and i get right. that but like i think it's terrible but um i think it, it just like it's so hard to capture that specific kind of whimsy that he was that he was getting that yeah. I just feel like the feature length stuff just never plays. It just never works. No, I, th I think you're onto something. But specials, I think, are great. Like, The Sneetches is a great story, and why not make a 20-minute short out of it, you know? These five projects, are they are they all specials, you're saying? or We don't know. Oh, we don't know. They said so, there's five new projects. Some are right. going to be series. Some are going to be specials. Okay. There's two others that were, pro that were, that were titles I didn't recognize. I'm just happy that... They're making Seuss content because, uh, you know, you know me. I, I don't miss an, a minute of Fox News. Yeah. You're on the cancel beat. You follow the can who's canceled, what's getting canceled very closely. They told me Dr. S the, the beloved Dr. Seuss is now canceled because right. uh, people didn't like that there were some unflattering uh, indigenous it's people's ra ra racism. racism. Some of the, some of some the, of the drawings are of... quite, quite racist. Yes. And, and uh, I mean, I think we can, uh, we can all, that's just objectively true. Yes. <laughs> As you know, Fox says, rate you shouldn't cancel for racism. Just for the edification of our listeners, yes. it's a comedy program, but I do yes. want you to leave with the real information. What actually happened was that the Dr. Seuss estate said that it was going to stop publishing a few selected parts of a few selected works because they included dated racist drawings and cultural depictions. Yeah, and like they Asian are, characters with exactly. like buck teeth and coolie hats. And, they yeah. clearly are, by any modern standard, offensive and racist. Agreed, agreed. Dr. Seuss, now we're not saying Dr. Seuss was a racist in his heart. We're not saying he was a bad man. It was a long time ago. Obviously, he had some great ideas. He had some outdated ideas. He was, you know, like a, a, a human being. 
So I think that they, 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 it's they keep turning this into a personal thing of like these guys are canceled and their lives are ruined, but it's, it's almost never that. It's yes. always just let's go back and reconsider this thing from another era and how it plays to a modern sensibility. And that was another edition of Lawn Explains Hal's Bit. I didn't mean to explain your bit. I just didn't want people to leave her thinking that Dr. Seuss had really been canceled by someone. Nobody canceled Dr. Seuss. He's, it's fine to like Dr. Seuss. I was trying to say that Fox News makes weird false claims about exactly. everyone exactly. and getting canceled in the same way that Joe Rogan says, white guys can't talk anymore. No. <laughs> we can't do anything Guess anymore. Guess what? Ah. Well, I, I'm... Juan and I are both white guys and we're talking. So Joe Rogan, uh, check and mate. Yeah. I'm going to start doing an offensive voice at any minute now just because I can. All right. No, I won't. I won't do that. I would uh, not do Travis, that. Travis, make sure to listen and cut Travis, that out. Travis, yeah. Okay, like if I start just doing my licorice pizza Japanese voice, just <laughs> just cut that Just cut that out. Just, just delete. Did you watch licorice pizza? I, I did. I did. I did not care for that. Uh, th- that those. I, I did not care for it as a bit either. But it is. Yeah, I like the movie. I like the movie. I didn't really like the movie. I, I, I there's, there's stuff that is really bad. Well done. It's beautifully shot. The acting is good. There's sequences and scenes I like. I thought the Bradley and it's got a spirit and a whimsy about. I it. thought the Bradley Cooper stuff was funny, but I didn't really like anybody in the movie, including the people I was supposed to like. And like, I didn't. It it, it sort of feels like if Max Fisher from Rushmore never learned anything and didn't ever get a comeuppance, and it was just like. He was a great guy, and finally everybody figured it out. It's like, no, no, he's got to mature. Like, he's got a lot of growing up to do. And it almost feels like this movie doesn't, you don't get Cooper Hoffman to where he needs to actually go. He just gets what he wants, and then the movie's over. Yeah, I mean, I, I see that. It, it, it definitely gives some problematic behavior a pass. I don't even care about it like it's problematic. I just think it's unsatisfying. Like, from a from a narrative perspective, he doesn't really get a chance to, to arc that much and then Alana, too, feels like she comes to this realization that he's not right for her and she's sort of wasting her time. Mm-hmm. But then she just reverses on it because it's a happier ending. And it's like, well, so what What was her growth? What was her journey? But I'll, uh, but I'll tell you what, Lon, I was too busy enjoying the movie until I came to the end and realized all that. So cut to, damn it, I enjoyed the movie. Oh, I can't believe it. What a disappointment that you yep. enjoyed the movie. But yeah, that Michael, what is it? Michael Higgins? Mike, John Michael Higgins. John Michael he's Higgins. He's a very funny actor. I, I enjoy I enjoy the hell out of that guy. Uh, also, I won. I won on uh, America Says. I was on his game show. Oh, look at that. Uh, I, I, uh, I feel like casting him alone is like the hint, the tip off that you're not supposed to think that this character is in the right. Like he only plays those kinds of like, awkward doofus types true 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 but yeah i i just thought it was it was hard to watch i thought it was unfunny uh i thought it was not just i thought it was not just uh kind of racist against asians but also misogynistic in a big way just in the same way when they said the wives were interchangeable it's it but it's i i mean listen i think that it is meant to comment on all of these things it is not He's not saying, a lot of people were talking about that scene like he's saying racism and misogyny are funny in and of themselves. And and I understand, and I understand when people are like, 
white audiences are just laughing at this scene. They and are. My, my issue with it is I don't think the joke that it builds to, it does build to a joke. It builds to a joke after two scenes of seeing him hear, listen to his wife or his wives speaking to him in Japanese and pretending that he's having these side conversations with him. He finally confesses in very matter of fact tone. Oh, I don't speak Japanese. That's the joke. It is building to a joke that he's been pretending to speak Japanese this whole time. I just don't feel like that joke is a big enough and funny enough payoff to merit the discomfort and and tension and awkwardness of the two scenes that lead in. It's like making you suffer through these two long-winded scenes for a joke that doesn't really land. Yeah. That's my I don't think Paul Thomas Anderson is a racist guy. I think that these two scenes are misguided because they're not funny. But I, I, don't, I, don't, I think he might have been like, oh, we're being a little cheeky here, but we're, we're but our heart's in the right place, well, so I don't know okay. about that. I think it's, thematically, I think it links how, how up could to... You not, how could you not uh, realize that, like, you're... Oh, you're being a little bit of an edge lord, Paul Thomas Anderson, by including that. But the, that's the whole movie. The movie is all the adults around these people, like especially yes. Cooper Hoffman. He's this kid without a dad. Mm -hmm. He's obviously searching around for guidance and for direction. He he wants a mentor. He wants older people around yes. him. He wants to be part of that adult world. He craves that kind of attention. Yes. And every adult around him fails him. And I mean, to me, like, that's what the movie's about, is like, there. if he followed the the pattern of any of the men around him, it's going to lead to disaster. It's it's this William Holden guy. Mm -hmm. It's, uh, it's you know, Brad Cooper as John Peters. It's these rotten casting people and executives. He's in this, this, this stew of terrible influences. And I think that that's where the, the scene is meant to link in. Like, here's yet another adult horribly misbehaving around this kid sure. and giving him a terrible idea of what it means to be a real man. And I think that's the underlying idea of the whole movie. And it, it, you can easy, you can understand how it fits in there. I just don't think it, it plays. It's an execution thing, not a conceptual thing. To me, I'm not saying that's the only take on it. Yeah, well, uh, for whatever reason, uh, it, it didn't work for me either. It's probably my least favorite P.T. Anderson movie, just generally, because I had this reaction to a bunch of the fuck out of shit. I just don't, I don't like, I, I want to like these people and I don't. I, and I kept coming back to that. Yeah, I think I liked it more than Inherent Vice. Uh, oh, I love Inherent Vice. Okay. You're wrong. Watch it again. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Yep. It's fine. You don't have to like it. Netflix, Bad Robot, and Warner Brothers are all teaming up for a series about the band U2. And if you have an iPhone, folks, check it out. The show is already on there. <laughs> no, it, there's been such a backlash, starting with that incident you allude to of uh, U2 as album. They're putting that album on everybody's iTunes. phone, yeah. uh, There have been such a backlash to U2, it seems. It seems like this series is coming at the wrong time. I, I just... Like noticed Nancy Pelosi the other day for St. Patrick's Day. She read. Oh this my God, poem that Bono poem by Bono. Well, I mean, Bono was always like cheesy. Like even in yeah. even in the peak U two era when they were like a huge popular band, I think yeah. everybody kind of knew Bono was like personally a little lame. Yeah, and Bono loves himself some Bono. Bono, yeah, like that. That that was always part. I mean. The band, in some ways, is almost a commentary on that. Like, the Octung Baby era was about Bono being an egomaniac and, like, mm -hmm. narcissistic and, like, we're the biggest rock band in the universe and, like, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, 
I will say I saw you two at the Rose Bowl a long time ago now, over 10 years ago now. Uh, and it was amazing. It was at that 360. There's a concert film of, uh, of the Rose Bowl show I was at where it's called U2 360 because mm-hmm. it was like the stage and then everybody was on 360 of the stage and they had a microphone like hanging down that right. was like loose on a rope so Bono could just take the mic and like run all around the stage and like sing to everybody in different corners of the crowd or whatever. Yeah, I saw U2 uh, probably four years ago, three years ago at the Forum. They put on a good show. They've got it's a good show. They've got yeah. a song catalog, but yeah, they've become just caricatures of themselves and their later stuff just continues to underwhelm. Yeah, it's and the, now, the, 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 right. Yeah. You're still everybody's still kind of going wanting to hear the like War and Joshua Tree tracks, not yes. the not the newer stuff. So there's going to be a U2 series. There's going to be a U2 series. It's going to be written by Anthony McCartan, the guy who wrote the Queen biopic, Bohemian Rhapsody. He's at work on the script. We don't have a lot of other details yet. So it's J.J. Abrams' company making a show about U2. There you go. Uh, Ewan McGregor cast as Bono. I almost feel like he's more of an an edge. He'd be more of like the edge. All right, who are you casting as Bono? Liam Neeson. Jared Leto. Listen. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> he's gonna he's gonna go real deep on it you know speaking of casting paul wesley you may know him from vampire diaries hal i know you were a big uh vampirino oh, you know i love my vd yeah <laughs> paul wesley has joined the cast of the new star trek series strange new worlds now this show we have not seen season one season one is not coming until later this year they're already shooting season two it's already <laughs> been renewed Paul Wesley is going to join the cast in season two as a young version of Captain James T. Kirk. Oh, young Kirk. This show is set between Star Trek Discovery, which introduced uh, young Spock. So it's going to bring young Spock back. It's basically the adventures of the USS Enterprise when it was still under the command of Captain Christopher Pike, who's played by Anson Mount, in the years before Star Trek, the original series. We're also going to meet a young Uhura in this Strange New World oh, series. And was it Young Spock? I just want to, I don't mean to correct you. Young Spock or Baby Spock? It's a Young Spock. He's not a baby. He's a man. He's just not as old as he was when he was played by Leonard Nimoy. Okay. Uh, maybe I'm just- Baby Yoda thinking. is I, in the show, but not Baby Spock. Baby Yoda crossover event in the yeah. show. Grogu. But that does bring me to my my concern here, which is not that they're bringing Grogu in, but that- they're doing the Star Wars thing of like all the Star Trek shows now are going to start obsessing about the same like stretch of time with the same characters we already know. And it's like, it's a whole universe. You could set it any, anytime. I don't have the bandwidth for all this Star Trek. Yeah, there's a lot There's a lot of Trek happening. And right let now. me ask you this. Why don't they just do a Star Wars Star Trek crossover? You know, it, it, they're not similar. Who because they're not, they're both in space, that. but Star Trek is like very much like the future of our world. And Star yes. Wars is long ago, far away, fantasy. I don't feel like it integrates that well. What if, yeah, I, I'll tell you exactly There's no how you- There's no Earth in Star Wars. Oh, like, I'll tell you exactly how it happens. You, um, the Enterprise fucks around, goes through a wormhole, and what? Where are we? We ended up in a galaxy far, far away. But that there's there's like they they time travel in Star Trek, but there really there isn't go. like I don't know about alternate realities. No, it's a wormhole. It's happening in this other. All right. 
I think it's I don't Galaxy I, I just I don't feel like these are two away. projects that integrate together that well. Like I feel like Star Trek and like Battlestar Galactica, it's like, okay, these share enough commonalities to where you could maybe do something. Yes, that's too easy. That's too easy. That let me and let me tell you, let me give you one more reason. Why. I just don't like the Star Wars universe is like you're just a it's just bounty hunters. It's like an entire universe of only bounty hunters. And I don't know how you work that in with Star Trek. Klingons would fit well in there. And let me just tell you this. The very first thing we ever saw from Star By the way, I don't mean to interrupt. If what? there ever was a crossover Star Wars, Star Trek, the very first thing they would do, Klingon Bounty Hunter. That's exactly where it would, that's who it would be about. If that's Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, anyway, continue. I'm sorry. The very first thing any of us ever saw from Star Trek, or from Star Wars, sorry, from George Lucas's 1977 uh, uh, Star Wars A New Hope, a lo long ago in a galaxy far, far away. That posits that it exists on the same time, like in the same universe as Earth. Earth exists in that world. Yeah, but it's just, it's not... Far, long ago, right. far, far away, right. but Earth just, does exist. And one of those things where it's like, it's Star Trek, but they're in the 20s. Like, I don't, like, okay, but like, what is that? Why? Like, Listen, I know it's out of character for them. I'm just I just saying. don't, I don't know how those universes integrate, but uh, it's, it's, it's fine. The one thing is monster fighting. Like, Star Trek has, you know, where they're like going to shoot their phasers at like a big, like, yeah, like lizard looking guy. That is also Star Wars. You could have them just like team up on on some monster. Fights. You're making my argument for me. All right. Wait, but are you sure it's not Baby Spock? No, because he was already in Star Trek Discovery. Ethan Peck. We know what this character looks like. He's been in it before. Oh, I didn't see it. I didn't see so, it. So yeah, it's just no. He's got the ears, but he's just like you know a young How guy. How cute would a little pointy eared baby be? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's just a baby. I think a baby Vulcan would just kind of look like a baby. With that just same like with, little Spock bowl cut just on like a baby. Just like pointy eyebrows. It's just pointy, oh, pointy, pointy eyebrows. pointy eyebrows on a, some little, on a baby, uh, some yeah. little tot. We only got one more news story. Let's get through this. Yes. Uh, Netflix announced a live action film based on the Boom Studios comic books, Irredeemable and Incorruptible. Mm. These are about uh, a superhero, godlike, very powerful superhero named Plutonium, who goes crazy and begins just straight up killing people. And his former supervillain rival, Max Damage, comes out of retirement to stop him. Now, this particular, this project is particularly exciting, I think, because it comes from Harder They Fall director James Samuel hmm. and that film's producers Jay-Z and James Lasseter. So this is hmm. kind of the follow-up to Harder They Fall. Uh, Kemp Powers, who wrote the One Night in Miami, both play and Oscar-nominated script, he will be writing the screenplay for this as well. Oh, very nice. Got some good pedigree there. Uh, I enjoyed yeah. the, the Harder They Fall. We talked about so that here, I. I believe. We did. We did talk about it on this very program. And uh, th this sounds cool. And is this animated or live action, did you say? Live action. This Ooh. is a live action film. So we're doing, oh, we're doing real superhero action in a larger than life uh, scale. Great. Great, great, great. You know what? Um, I, I like... Uh, yeah, and Kemp Powers, he had a, what a year he had uh, the other year. Uh, One Night in Miami, and then also uh, brought on to Soul uh, yeah. as well. Uh, so, yeah, that sounds like some uh, good stuff. Uh, I'd uh, take a look at it when it comes out. I'll, 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 I'll scroll to it and give it a click. You know what uh, show Kemp Powers wrote for before One Night in Miami? Oh, boy. Uh, I, I feel like I do, but uh, go ahead. Star Trek Discovery. He would have written he, Young Spock. He was writing Young Spock. 
he might be a good guy to ask if the, it was a baby Spock or an Should actual, we book him? Should we book him on the show? Should I reach out? That would be a great guest. <laughs> we could pick his guess. brain on we could pick his brain on baby Spock. Yep. Great guest. That's it. That's it, Pat. That's it for news. That's all the news coming up. Ooh, uh, Lon and I watched four things. Count them. Four. Oh, my God. How do we find the time? What are we doing with our lives? Not much, apparently. Find out uh, what's taking the place of actual living <laughs> after this. Lon. How? We both dropped in for the dropout on hey Yes. Uh, we checked it out. Amanda Seyfried plays Elizabeth Holmes, uh, the woman who uh, just lost her trial. What, what was it? A fraud trial regarding yes. Theranos. Theranos. She defrauded her investors, machine. folks. She yes. criminal fraud uh, for defrauding her investors. Criminal fraud for Theranos, the blood testing machine, and the dropout on Hulu tells the story and. I went into this with a little bit of hesitation just because I was kind of overwhelmed. We're in like this golden age of uh, picking through the the rubble of modern failures with uh, We Crashed and the what's the Super Pumped and Super now the pumped, Dropout. Yeah. And I'm like, which one do I watch first? So I jumped into the Dropout uh, per Lon's urging. And you know what? Uh, I'm enjoying this. I'm five episodes in. Uh, I think uh, Amanda Seyfried, she's very strong. And like, she's obviously, it, it might, you know, live or die on this performance, uh, which, you know, it's, it, that's not a great stretch. She's the central character. But I, I, Amanda Seyfried is doing some really strong stuff here. It's great performance. Also, you know, I think it's a, a credit to her that she's, she's 36 years old, but she incredibly plays a 19 year old like i'm not like i i never once do i think oh uh amanda seyfried's too old to play this character or anything and and i i only say that because like you know lon pointed it out a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about nightmare alley a, a month or whatever ago and we were talking about bradley cooper um seeming like too old to play the character he's playing and it happens so often where oh someone has to play a character for several of their formative years but this is a character that's 19 to 23 the entire time and Amanda Seyfried is just like immersed and she sort of unhinged a little bit kooky uh this Elizabeth Holmes is a quirky weird character and Amanda Seyfried just really fun to watch uh throughout this and I feel like that is what gives this a sense of urgency and has made this, uh, among other things, has made this a very uh, fun show to watch. Yeah, I watched this and Super Pumped uh, mm -hmm. this week for for another show I was on, and uh, this is a lot better because I think Super Pumped is trying very hard to be like the authoritative, like this is Silicon Valley. Like, right. here's what startups are all about, baby. And here's how the financial system works or whatever. And like, that's, uh, nobody cares, I feel like. And and that's so many different business kind of stories are sort of similar in that way. And it doesn't really have a ton of like very authentic feeling insight. And this kind of doesn't even bother to try to do that. It's not trying to be the McKay, the Scorsese, like, we're pulling back the curtain on this hidden world. It's really a character study about this uh, weird lady. And like, mm -hmm. 
what compelled her and like what was driving her and what was going on in her head. And like, it's as much about her weird relationship with Sonny Balwani as it is the company in some ways. Yes. And I think like, it's it's a lot better for that. Like Liz Merriweather, who wrote the scripts and Michael Showalter, who directed, you know, they're, mm-hmm. they're, they're, they make comedies and they make character studies and they're interested in the the individual quirks and the personalities and not as much the like, this is the story of how you raise money in, in Silicon Valley. And like, this is tech. And and I think that by going for that, you are there, verisimilitude in Super Pump, they kind of lose the thread. And mm. it ends up feeling like, like you know, B-level Wolf of Wall Street. Whereas oh, the dropout yeah. feels much more like a compelling TV show just because we're getting into the mind of this like weird lady. Yeah, Amanda Seyfried and like, the, you see like her, in fits and starts, trying to get the business and the science right and, like, wrapping her mind around it. But then Amanda Seyfried does this great stuff. Like, there are just... I really like the sequences of her getting pumped and dancing because it seems like how a dork would dance. Uh, By a dork, I mean, some of my main frame of reference is me. Uh, Like, when you are excited and trying to get jazzed about something, and it just... she. Uh, like Amanda Seyfried is dancing like no one's watching to borrow <laughs> yeah. a, to a terrible term. And it's real, like she's immersed in it. Also, very brave of her to play a character with damaged hair. <laughs> very brave for a woman. There was a, there was an that. interesting article about how um, the, it was a particular challenge for the makeup and styling team. Yeah. Because they, it's not, you're not mocking this person. They're trying to realistically mm-hmm. recreate what she looked like. It's not, it's not supposed to be funny. Yeah. But you're not styling someone to look good. Like they they they're they're usually they would lean into like, well, we gotta make them look good or glamorous or sexy or appealing mm-hmm. or professional. But in this one it's like, no, we've gotta like come up, you know, mirror these real life weird looks that she was creating. It worked. Like the the ill fitting off the rack dress clothes. Um yeah. and, and the look with the the bad makeup with the eyeliner that's just a little off. Um, I, I, but it didn't scream comedy. It scream. It, 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 it split the diff. It split the diff on that one. Also, one of the other things I really liked about the show, Lon, and I'm sure you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. It's like a murderer's row of character actors. Oh yeah, there's a lot of good people in it, and 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 some of them cast against type too. Yeah, uh, William H Macy, Stephen Fry, Alan Ruck, Marilyn Roscoe, Lori Metcalf in a tiny role. Lori Metcalf is like she's great in everything she does. Michaela Watkins. It goes on and on. Jo- Josh Payas, Bashir Salahuddin, Kurtwood Smith. I don't know. You didn't mention Michael Ironside as Don Lucas. Like yes. Like- Yes, classic actor. Classic movie heavy in this, you know, as this, like, biotech investor. It's great. It works great. Oh, and then uh, Michael Gill, who uh, was um, one of the rivals in Gilded Age. uh, He was an alderman, I believe, in Gilded Age. Yes. City alderman. uh, In Gilded Age, he plays a guy. And he was the president of House of Cards. Yes. In season one of House of Cards. He is so good at playing these, these cucked, uh, like loser, like I was doing well and now I've fallen from grace, guys. Because like in House of Cards, he resigns from the presidency. In uh, Gilded Age, he goes bankrupt and 
bad things befall him. In uh, in this show, also she he plays uh, Elizabeth Holmes' father, and he goes bankrupt. And he's, yeah, it's very funny the niche that he's carving out. Yeah, for he's, he's he's like dis- formerly formerly aristocratic, disgraced guy. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, otherwise. The uh, yeah, I, I, I enjoyed the show. Amanda Seyfried, uh, yeah, she, she drives it in the same way. I felt this way about uh, we didn't, I don't think we talked about this on this show, but inventing Anna. I, I really loved Julia Garner in that. And I thought she was the reason to watch. I think this is a more well-rounded show. Uh, and, but Amanda Seyfried, uh, she she's great in it. And uh, the dropout on Hulu. Worth che- check out the dropout. There you go. Uh, from HBO Max, Lon and I watched a two-part docu-series, two-part, a two-part documentary, Undercurrent. Uh, Undercurrent is about a reporter. Kim Vall. What's that? Her name was Kim Vall. Kim Vall. Thank you, Lon. Uh, Kim Vall, who went on a, uh, investigative, uh, submarine uh she got on an experimental submarine with a eccentric inventor named peter modson peter modson peter or madson and then she disappeared disappeared. and there was some controversy what happened to her and then eventually it came out that uh this man killed her while they were out on his submarine and then he sank the submarine as a way to sort of try to cover his crime uh, and claimed that there had been an accident on board and there were all these different stories, and it led to this infamous trial. Right. So Undercurrent chronicles this whole thing in two parts. You know, I, I think it's, th- there's a lot to unpack here as far as, like, some of the issues they're exploring, uh, as far as uh, the press and the unfortunate dangers inherent in, you know, even in in 2022 or in 2017 when this happened in just being a woman a like a woman having concerns regarding you know security and safety that you know most men would not have to face and the uh, the unfortunate reality of uh the existence of those issues and then just the gruesome nature of this specific crime. I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was really, you know, it was fascinating. I will say the first episode, it seemed like it dragged. I thought they could have compacted this into just an hour and a half rather than being two one-hour episodes uh, because it's like they waited to hit you with the bombshells of the second episode, but I felt like the first episode was spinning its wheels a little bit. The filmmaker Aaron Lee Carr, she also did at the heart of gold that 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 documentary about the USA gymnastics scandal yes. uh, a few years back. Yeah, Larry uh, yeah, Nasser. I mean, yeah, she very specifically like she wants to make these. She's making these true crime films about these horrible crimes that were done to women. Mm-hmm. But her her what she's saying about them, and, and if you read interviews, she's trying not to focus on the perpetrators. That the true crime genre were always like oh, who was this creep and why did he do what he did? And like we yeah. delve into that psychology. And mm-hmm. her approach is let's let's take a look at the person who was victimized and like what they were doing and what they would have contributed to the world had they not been taken from us. And so I think that's the idea behind 
part one is really about Kim Vall. It's about her career. It's about the journalism she was doing. It's about her outlook on this work. And it's trying to leave you with that, that like mm -hmm. this was a real life. This wasn't just a victim. And this isn't just a story about this gruesome thing this guy did. This is a story about this woman's life that just ended in this horrible way. And I think that it's the same kind of thing they were doing with the the Michelle McNamara, I'll Be Gone in the Dark series. Right. Like, it wasn't just about the Golden State Killer and we got to catch this psycho. It was like, here's also this author and this woman who got really caught up in the case and like, let's learn about her. And so I, I, I'm not, it's not that I'm disagreeing with what you're saying. I think this movie right. is very clearly, very deliberate about how it tells the story. And it does not jump in to get to the most fascinating, yeah. compelling parts. Like, it, it is taking its time developing who this person was before it gets to what happened to her. But I don't know. I, I, I can sort of see where she's coming from. Uh, it's a double-edged thing for me because I, I did think much of it was impactful and left me, you know, just uh, sad for the loss of this bright light, this woman who had much to give. She was a... a um, a, a talented journalist who. Oh yeah, we get it. How you're against murder? Jeez, I, hit us I mean, over the head again. Listen, with the if, if I got a hot like, take, I'm gonna I'm gonna spit it. Not one episode without Hal's murder stuff. His constant white knighting of I uh, would, don't listen. Don't murder people. Says Hal Rudnick. It's Lord the one, Rudnick. It's the one of the Ten Commandments that I can get behind. And, and then yeah, you do see that it's 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 how sad is it that this woman is not far from home and goes on a submarine trip and uh, gets murdered, uh, whereas she had spent, like, she had gone on journalistic forays to North Korea, um, war zones in the Middle East, and uh, come out of those unscathed. So it, it does paint a picture of, I mean, Lon, you make a good point. I, but it just, I just felt like we could have condensed everything. It felt like we had to watch a little... Sorry, dead lady. Hal's bored by your life. I mean, when you put it that way, <laughs> yes, I am a like, monster. Not, not Folks, interesting. Not interesting I'm, enough. Peter Madsen is not the monster. <laughs> I'm the monster. Uh, no. Uh, <laughs> you, listen, it's you and Peter Madsen. Okay. You're okay. both monsters. I also... This is just... This is sensationalistic part of me. I think we could have delved into... The madness of this guy a little bit more, but I'm going. I don't think we get. I don't a, think we're ever. We get a titch. Well, but I don't think there's any way to know. Like we don't know what happened on that boat. Like they talked to his friends. Like what do you think? When ha what what happened on that boat? Why do you go crazy? They don't know. He's not talking. So like, how would we? We I I think that. I feel like Aaron Lee Carr would have been happy to I, put... I, I think we could have gotten more of a psychological portrait of this guy and this the shit he was into because, uh, spoiler alert, spoiler alert, this guy was into some effed up stuff. Hal just, you wanted to get more into that. You were like, where do I find these snuff films? <laughs> I is mean, there a, is there are an address? they available a, for the layman? Is there a subreddit? Is do there I have some... to go to a dark web? Is there any way to see them without getting on a watch list? This was also his complaint about the film 8mm. It's like, what if I want to know more? Where, okay, where are yeah, the links? Nick Cage and everything aside, yeah. where, where does one where, find yeah, where these? Do, can you direct me to Joaquin uh, Phoenix's adult bookstore? Yeah, these little uh, flicks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
but it, yeah, it's 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 a tragic story. It, it is it, overall, it is well told, and it shines a lot of light on uh, yeah, just uh, th- this dark world. And it's also I do like some of the aftermath of it, where the the family is carrying on her legacy, and she her, the Columbia School of Journalism, and so. It's it's an interesting journey, worth checking out. And uh, for you, true crime heads, there's some grisly shit in there. As what? Bizarre, a bizarre way to sell people. Hey, this hey, is hey, true crime heads. Listen, it's people getting ground up. Stuff. <laughs> Undercurrent. <laughs> I think you're thinking of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, folks. If you want to see kids slashed up on a party bus, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Uh, hold on, let me write that down. Undercurrent is available for viewing right now on HBO Max. Right now, folks. Right now. Run, don't walk. After Yang is a new film. I didn't watch this because I haven't seen Before Yang and Yang, so I Boom. figured we could. You're good, though. You're good, though. Uh, You'll still understand (laughs) it. Uh, After Yang is available right now on Showtime and... It it was in theaters. I don't know if it's still in theaters. It was in theaters for a week or two. Gotcha. Lon, uh, where do you land on After Yang? I loved it. my, My favorite movie of this young year so far, and it'll probably remain high on my list, I think, for for at least a while... Uh, Koganada, who his previous film, Columbus, also great. Uh, highly recommend checking that one out if you haven't seen it. He's got, it's this incredibly, there's, there's a, a bunch of the movie thematically, uh, Colin Farrell's character is a tea expert and he spends a lot of the film preparing tea. He's got these sort of elaborate rituals to prepare the tea and the tea sort of ceremony. And that's, it feels almost like a metaphor for the filmmaking itself. It's very careful. It's very deliberate. It doesn't feel like there's anything out of place. It feels like every scene, every moment is there to impart a piece of information or give you something to think about. And it's all, uh, you know, it's sort of like immaculately put together in design. No frills, no, it's like a lean 90 minutes and it's mm-hmm. it's like perfect precision storytelling. It, it takes place in uh, the future it's like uh, a near future. Yeah, a where, not too distant future. Right. It's sort of recognizably our world. Uh, robots, yeah. humanoid androids. It, you know, it has a li- diff- totally different stories, but, you know, I could see it existing in the same world as an ex machina and uh, a little bit of this, a similar. Or aesthetic. even like a her, where it's like, it's yes. our world, but they have technology that we don't have. And like aspects of it socially have changed. And I like that. It's never, it's it's the opposite of showy. It's like they're doing world building, but only in ways that serve the story and that are subtle. So for the most part, it looks like our world is very recognizable, except that the family has this live-in sentient android that helps their adopted Chinese child learn about her culture. And like the opening credits are this sort of interactive family game show where you learn these like synchronized dance moves and compete against other families in real time. And like that kind of augmented reality tech doesn't exist in our world, but it's not showy about it. It doesn't explain what the whole thing is. It just shows it to you and lets you figure out on your own. Like, oh, there's like this, this game in the future that families play with like AR tech. 
Yeah, and it hints around all of like the different, a lot of different elements that have changed. Like the the driving is different. Like the right. travel from place to place is different. And also, uh, if the future in this movie, the, all of the colors in the future will be muted yes. and have <laughs> also a very Asian design aesthetic. But also the the thing about like this is what's so so smart about like sort of every decision is thoughtful and like uh, it's it's largely about blended families. I mean, it's this story mm-hmm. about you know Colin Farrell and Jodie Turner Smith plays his wife, and they are you know they're a, they're a bi-rate, multiracial couple, and then they've mm-hmm. adopted this Chinese daughter, and they they live in this world where uh, it's it's common enough that there is a, a whole company that makes robots to come move into your home and teach your adopted child about their own culture. So we can mm-hmm. presume that in some way, society has become much more diverse and multiracial, and there are a lot more blended families, and that's become much more customary. But it's never unpacked. It's just that's the future of this world, and it's just part of it. And then it really integrates that into the storytelling and the themes. It and does. so it makes you sort of think about what the meaning of family is what it means to be part of a family and all of these things link together in ways that are so smart and so subtle. And it really is like, yeah. Oh, right. Movies. Like that's what a movie can be. (laughs) No, I, I agree. I I was, I was uh, struck by this film as well and not, and you know, what does, what does family mean? What does one's uh, birth parents versus parents who raise them versus culturally, fitting into uh, society, uh, wh- wh- what is, uh, how do you unpack that? And then also, what is the worth of this quote-unquote robot who has served so many people? Like, he's a, like a second-hand robot. I'm not going to spoil too mu- uh, much of it here at all, really. Uh, but what do his experiences matter? What does this just created android who comes from a company and is like, you know, has just memory chips and stuff, but who seems to be somewhat of a sentient being. Like, how does he matter? How did he affect other people's lives? And it it has you asking larger questions, but at the same time, it, like as Lon said, it is a very streamlined, not a wasted frame in this film. Um, uh, yeah, the, the only critique of it, like from my end, as I was watching is like, oh, it was a little bit of a slow burn. It wasn't too bombastic, but it didn't need to be. I'm not saying it needed to be, but, um, it, uh, yeah, it, it didn't, it could have taken a bigger swing in a couple of Why ways. isn't anybody murdering anybody on a submarine? Thank you. Thank <laughs> you. I want to, I want to cut them up, slash them up. Oh boy. Listen, I want uh, uh, I want a crime scene taped up. No, but it, it's, uh, it, it is a, a lovely film that will have you uh, questioning some larger themes indeed. And yeah, very restrained, well done. And Colin Farrell just continues. To, he's in so many good things. Yeah, uh, what, a, what a month that guy is having. Like oh, After yeah. Yang and Batman. Bat, the Batman. Uh, People going uh, back and revisiting True Detective season two. I mean, all happening for Colin Farrell. That's... Last one might not be true. <laughs> After Yang, uh, I watched it on Showtime. Is it available any place else besides Showtime right now? I think Lon? it's Showtime right now. I think it'll it'll come to VOD maybe soon, and I, I maybe it's still in theaters if you live in a major market. I don't know. Look around. After Yang, 
uh, seek it out, folks. Seek it out. And finally, you know, I realized, I'm realizing now that we made a little bit of a mistake. Uh, I did, and, and we should have gone from undercurrent to deep water. Yeah, because really. The, the, what the hell's uh, your problem? The water connect. I'm just a schmuck on wheels over here. Jesus uh, Christ. Uh, deep water I'm going to do is, my best Tracy Letts voice. You're a weird guy. <laughs> deep who's Tracy Letts? He's the he's the, the the white dude who's like the the friend in this who immediately suspects Ben Affleck is really a murderer oh. and is like spying on him and hires a private detective. Yes, yes, yes. That is actor slash playwright Tracy Letts. Gotcha, gotcha. Thank you. You may recall him as the head of Ford in Ford v Ferrari. Yes, yes, I knew he's a uh, familiar face. Deepwater, Ben Affleck. Ana de Armas. Ana de Armas. Lil Rel Howery. Uh, Tracy Letts. <laughs> Tracy Letts. Uh, Deepwater is available snails, on Hulu. Snails, several snails. Hulu right now. So Ben Affleck, uh, so basically Ana de Armas and Ben Affleck are the most damaged couple of all time and we and we just watched the fallout. We should, we should start out, this is based on a this is based on a Patricia Highsmith novel from the 50s. She's the same author who wrote Strangers on a Train, which mm -hmm. became that classic Hitchcock film. Yes. And she wrote uh, the Ripley books, Talented Mr. Ripley and all those other Tom Ripley novels. Uh, she wrote, yeah, like really dark, chilly sort of thrillers and murder stories in like the 40s and 50s. So Ben Affleck and Andy Armas are this couple Basically, uh, she's a serial cheater. Well, they kind of have an understanding. He's much older than her. They have this young child together. She's obviously still, you know, young and wants to, like, live and date and have sex and affairs. And he's older and wants to just raise this little girl. So they've made they kind of, as the film opens, they've got kind of this understanding that she can fuck other dudes as long as she doesn't, like, leave him and destroy the family. Right. But she's becoming more ostentatious about it. She's becoming more open about it. She's starting to bring these other guys around their home and their friends and their social circle and started to use it as a way to humiliate him instead of just blow off steam. Exactly. I think is the implication, yeah. Yes, and then it becomes a, 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 a whodunit, did he done it type of thing. And it's often just bonkers and crazy and kind of, uh, you know, on the nose. One thing I just wanted to point out, you mentioned uh, Colin Farrell and his his uh, his tea business, how he is just immersed in tea and like making tea and smelling it. I got a, a little sense of that from like the same vibe from Ben Affleck in this movie because one of his hobbies is collecting snails. He's got, he's got this huge greenhouse full of snails. And he's like, whenever he's at home, he's with the snails. Yes, and I got the same vibe watching Colin Farrell like mixing and smelling and pretending to be super into this tea as I did watching Ben Affleck having a snail on his head on his hand and letting the snail drink water or or get or get hydrated and him pretending he's into the snails. You don't think he's I think he's into the snails. Listen, I think they put on a, just a couple of masterclass clinics on actors playing pretend. 
Oh, you're saying Ben Affleck was pretty. I, I was like, like the character is definitely into the snail. Oh, the character. Listen. Yeah, it's not a. It's not the an affectation. The characters are into the snail. Oh, okay. I thought you were saying. Oh no 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 no. Vic Vic. But I'm just saying. Colin Farrell was pretend for the role pretended to be into tea. I bet tea. Colin Farrell really likes tea, and I bet Ben Affleck really likes snails. You don't know. You know, I sat next to Colin Farrell at a restaurant once. He did not order tea. Oh, my God. Just destroying all my illusions. It, and, oh, you know where it was? It was House of Pies. Yeah, well, that's you're not gonna get a you're not gonna get a nice, well prepared glass of Colin tea. Colin Farrell came into House, House of Pies and had spaghetti and meatballs. Oh my God, that's, he doesn't <laughs> know any better. Listen, right? nobody told him. Nobody told him not to. Do no that. one told him. So th- yeah, this movie it's so it's so on the nose with everything. It's very silly. It's, it's, I kind of liked it. I just It falls apart at the end. It's one of those movies I feel like the third act feels like it got a lot of studio notes and a lot of like, do we want to do that? Like, it feels like a movie that, that, that had a bad screening and got chopped up. Because you could tell that the ending is very rushed and doesn't feel like where the story was kind of going and it's very abrupt. Uh, so that, that sucks. But uh, for the first two acts, I actually thought this was a lot of fun. It's Adrian Lyne who did Fatal Attraction and Unfaithful. Yeah, and nine that, and that a half ger- weeks. Yeah, that Jeremy Irons Lolita movie. And, like, this is, you know, it's a it's a classic romantic thriller in the most 90s sense of that term. And I think that it definitely is, is kind of doing the, it's kind of getting off on the fact that we know that Ben Affleck and Ana de Armas were dating at mm-hmm. the time that they made it. And it's got that eyes wide shut kind of tension about a couple that's since broken up playing a couple that's breaking up or that's the relationship is dissolving. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. I thought, I thought this was a lot of fun. Tracy Letts, absolutely killing it in that supporting performance. He plays a guy who's in their social circle, who's immediately, he doesn't like Ben Affleck's character. He's immediately suspicious of him and he's kind of snooping on him the whole movie and they have a few like interactions and he is just, he's at a 13. Like he knows exactly what movie he's in and he is giving it 120% and it's like, it's a lot of fun, and I you almost wish more of the movie was 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 digging into the vibe in that way. But I don't know. I, I enjoyed. It. Yeah, but I, I think it is. It is silly, uh, like but it's again, supposed yeah, to be silly, laughably on the nose. Like there's this one scene. So Ben Affleck, he's like this independently wealthy guy because he sold uh, some microchips to the government right. uh, for for drones, and uh, he walks into the. And also, there's a rumor going about that Ben Affleck might have. Uh, le- might have done away with a local man. Well, it's, it's not a somebody. rumor. One of these, the, a man that they know was... Disappeared. Seeing his wife. Uh, this guy, Martin McRae, who yeah. was a known guy who was, was cheating, you know, she, whose wife was cheating on him with, has disappeared. And so this is... Yeah. While Ben Affleck is, is at a party talking with her new, his wife's new yeah. boyfriend, he tells him specifically on purpose, oh, yeah, I, yeah. Killed, I killed her last boyfriend. And then he plays it off to everybody like a joke. We, it's never. There's a little cat and mouse whether he did it or not. It's never confirmed that he did or yeah. not. But the movie's so on the nose uh, with, with, with some of its choices. Ben Affleck walks into a room and the news is on. And it goes from a story about drones to a story about the guy that he may or may not have killed 
Yeah. Being well, you don't you don't leave the news on to the station that's just about things that are relevant to you specifically. You that's my what? favorite. I'm, I'm still I always keep for it that on. Station. I always I'm keep it on law news. It's like Hal Rudnick if arrested again for indecent exposure. I'm like, ah, we were supposed to record our podcast today. Oh, man. Well, but listen, I, I was released on my own recognizance. Hal Rudnick discovered covered in snails. I'm like, ah, again, I thought we were going to get him into tea. Hal Rudnick opens tea shop. <laughs> That's better. It's finally more productive use of your time. Some of these choices, the choices in the movie are just like weird and, and yeah, on the nose. Also... Uh, there's a driving sequence at the end of the film that is the worst, most erratic driving I've ever seen in a movie. It's like, it, this guy is driving worse than Toonces, the, the driving, the driving cat, cat from yeah, Saturday the cat Night who Live. Drive a car, like, yeah. like, literally, it would not be that hard to get away in this sequence. I, I, I don't want to give anything away. The guy is is driving this car. He's all over the place. It's comical. And then also, this is an erotic thriller with, with a lot of murder and some violent scenes. And the end credits, they play this kid singing the song in the car. Did you watch that where the kid is singing the yeah. song in the end credits? Not enjoyable. <laughs> okay. Like, you don't think that this little the child is a good singer? No, I was okay. really put too much. I'll let her know. I'll, I'll let her know. I'll email Thanks. her after this and let her know you didn't like her singing. But overall, I, I found this a lot more enjoyable th than I expected to because this movie was supposed to be theatrically released and it was shelved and and it was put up on Hulu instead. But, uh, you know, it's a dumb, fun thriller. That's it. There you go. Deep Water. It's available on Hulu right now. Lon, we talked about all the things. We did. Let's uh, let's wrap this talk. up. Let's get out of here. It's been a, it's been an hour twenty already. Hoot hoot, Owl Nation. Where are my gahooligans at? Starburns Audio. Thanks for having us. Travis Reeves. Thanks for producing us. Our opening song. Thank you to Jason K. Lon, tell the folks. Oh. Did you want to talk about next week? Yeah, let's do that next time. It's we, We're too long already. Yeah, we're too long already, Lon. Tell the folks where they can find you. Uh, find me on Twitter at L-O-N-S. That's the best place to do it. And also check out my uh, newsletter at inside.com slash streaming five days a week. It'll keep you updated on everything we talk about here on the program. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Hal Rutnick. And come by and talk some shit. Thanks for listening. <laughs> Want to talk some shit? We'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye now. Bye. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch in the fuck out of shit. <laughs>